you would think that the first words from humanity to God would be these words of praise, these words of appreciation, these words of thanksgiving. But do you remember the first words that we have recorded in scripture where man speaks to God? Do you remember that first recorded conversation? Yeah, it was Adam and he was in the garden and he said, God, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we know that previously Adam had spoken about Eve and that Adam had had conversations with God in the garden. But the first actual recorded words of man speaking to God is, I was afraid, so I hid. That's what happens when sin enters. Fear tags right along with it. And ever since, we've all been plagued with sin and with fear. And in times of crisis, fear tends to perk up a lot. It tends to get the best of us, and we can fear a whole variety of things. And that's why we're in the middle of this series, No Fear. How do we trust God in turbulent times? Adam was reeling from his sin, and when he heard God walking in the garden, he hides. And ever since, humanity's done a lot of hiding. We, we, we tend to want to keep things in the dark. We tend to want to hide. And in fact, if someone were to ask you, what are your greatest fears? If you're in some kind of group and you're sharing your greatest fears, usually we'd say things like, well, we're afraid of spiders. We're afraid of snakes. And we're afraid of the water and heights and public speaking or whatever. But there's this deep fear that tends to lurk in all of our hearts. And it's this fear of really being known. We see it in Adam. He's, he's afraid that God's really going to see him and, and know him right there in the garden and what he's done. We'll see it this morning in Abraham, this great patriarch of the faith. And if we look in the mirror, we see it in all of ourselves, that inside of all of us at one time or another, there's this fear of really being known, of really letting people in. I'll be reading this morning from Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And this is a frustrating passage to read because it exposes our continual struggle with sin and how sometimes, oftentimes really, we can fall back into the same old evil patterns when difficult times arise. And we see this in the life of this great man of faith, Abraham. But it also gives us some clues on how we can trust God in turbulent times. So, Let's go ahead and look at Abraham's life this morning in just a disturbing scene from Genesis 20, verses 1 through 16. It says this, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between the Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, that she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife 
for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom this great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, the land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. In some ways, Abraham is like this first pioneer. He's this sojourner of rare faith. He hears from God that he is to leave his homeland, this land of security, this land of stability. And so he takes off without much of his family, leaving his friends behind, leaving his country and, his, and all of his uh, stability behind. And he goes and he wanders and he journeys to this land. It's a land of promise. See, God had given Abraham three promises. First, God gave Abraham the promise of land. Second, God gave Abraham the promise of descendants. And third, God gave Abraham this promise of blessing. And so Abraham, he takes off. But those promises that God made to Abraham, they seemed so empty. And so Abraham, he struggled with fear. You see, Abraham, he arrived in this land of promise and he gets there and he sees these Canaanites with chariots of iron and that they're led uh, with armies of bloodthirsty pagans. And he sees this land and this land doesn't seem like this land of a beautiful promise. It seems more like a land of a nightmare. And then he's promised descendants, as many as the sand on the seashore. But his wife is past childbearing years after 25 years of waiting. And so Abraham and Sarah, well, they hatch another plan. And so it involves Hagar and Ishmael is conceived. And then there's the plan of the the promise of blessing. And you look at Abraham and he finds himself in a famine. It doesn't sound like much of a blessing. And so he looks around and he knows that it's told that Egypt is the great granary of the ancient world. And so he leaves this promised land and goes to Egypt. He arrives in Egypt and he has Sarah tell all the Egyptians there that she is in fact Abraham's sister. Well, Pharaoh uh, then takes Sarah as his wife. Things escalate so quickly. Abraham, filled with fear, fear of being known, just hatches this lie. Well, God steps in. He plagues Pharaoh. And Pharaoh then returns Sarah to Abraham. 
But see, God had to intervene. It was, it was God who protected the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. It was God who protected the promise that he himself has made. So with all of that in Abraham's past, we come to chapter 20. And it's almost like we enter this deja vu moment because the same thing that had happened many years earlier in Egypt now seems to take place in Gerar. Now, this is about 35 years into Abraham's traveling since he had wandered from his homeland. The Egyptian event, that occurred very early on. So a lot has happened But the same thing tends to take place in Abraham's life. And Abraham had seen a lot in those 35 years. A lot has taken place. I mean, he had witnessed and had been a part of Hagar and Ishmael. All that has happened. He's seen this land of promise and he's been through so much with Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and so much evil has happened. In fact, as he looked down on the plain of this land of promise in Sodom and Gomorrah, he saw the flames burning and he said it was like a furnace with everything on fire, the smoke filling as far as the eye could see. This was the land of promise. Abraham had been through so much. And so he's traveling again, this time heading west to Gerar. Maybe he needed some food for his livestock. Maybe he needed to sell some of his livestock. We we don't know exactly why he went, but he's there. And news travels quickly. The king, Abimelech, he hears that Abraham is in town. And at this time, Abraham, he is this elderly nomadic herdsman. But he's also a very wealthy man. In Egypt, he had acquired quite a lot of wealth. And so he owns large amounts of livestock. He has servants. He even has his own private army. And by this time, though, you need to understand that Sarah is nearly 90. She's already said of herself that she's old, that she's withered. She's no longer the ravishing beauty of her youth. She's, she's a little older now. So what did Abraham have to fear? How, how did fear get the best of him again? Why did fear win again? Well, Abraham likely feared that with all of his wealth that king Abimelech, he would notice this and he would kill Abraham and Sarah so that he could take control of their great wealth, this great fortune. And so he assumes that this king doesn't fear God. You see, fear always leads to these assumptions. It causes us to act impulsively. So he and Sarah both say, hey, we're brother and sister. It seems believable. I mean, Sarah's well past childbearing years at this point. If they were a couple, surely they would have kids, this couple of great fortune. Yeah, it seemed believable that she was simply his sister, that there was nothing more going on. And so Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife, probably to build some kind of political alliance with Abraham, to build some kind of partnership here so he could share in Abraham's wealth and be safe from Abraham's army. And so there's this almost like a truce that's created. And again, things escalate quickly. But just like with Pharaoh before, God steps in to protect Abraham and Sarah's marriage and to protect the promise that he's made to Abraham and Sarah. So God torments Abimelech with with dreams and Abimelech responds and he makes amends. He makes restitution. And we read this disturbing event in Abraham's life and it raises all of these questions. I mean, we look at this and we say, why would Abraham lie again? Why would God get him out of this again? Like what, what did Abraham even suffer in this? It almost seemed like 
Abraham was rewarded for his lies. That doesn't seem right. How could God allow that? What do we learn about God from this passage? What do we learn about ourselves from this passage? What do we take from this? You see, this account, it stirs up so much, doesn't it? It's so interesting the way things happened. Just like Adam had hid earlier, so now Abraham is hiding. He's trying to hide who he really was, thinking if the king really knew him, then, well, things would not go well for him. He'd be killed. Perhaps Sarah would be killed. His wealth would be taken. We face the same problem, though, don't we? We think sometimes that if people really know who we are, if we're really known, well, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. So we put on masks. We hide. We we like to keep some things in the dark. We want to present the best version of ourselves, keep some things secret, not let everything out. We want to make ourselves look better than we really are, because then we believe that we'll be chosen, we'll be wanted. That we just have to keep some things secret, some things hidden. Well, this is Abraham. Fear gets the best of him, this fear of being known. And he starts fearing who he is, that the king will know who he is. And he just can't have that. That would be dangerous. And so he comes up with these lies because he's built these assumptions about Abimelech. You see, fear always leads to poor decisions. Our circumstances seem big. We act impulsively. We don't think things through. We don't trust God's wisdom. We simply rely on ourselves. It leads to panic, overreaction, being defensive, a whole host of things. See, sin carries fear right along with her. We look at the life of Abraham and part of us, we, we, we just understand it. I mean, we, we get what he's gone through. God has made this host of promises to him, these great promises, but they seem empty. They seem hollow. God has promised land. And well, the land first, there's a famine in the land. There's crazy people in the land. Now the land's up in smoke. I mean, what kind of land is this anyway? There's a promise of children. And well, that's simply led to Hagar and Ishmael and now an unhappy wife and things are just worse than before. What kind of promise was these descendants anyway? And this promise of blessing? Well, he endured a famine and now he's got all this wealth. But the wealth has just caused more stress, more torment, dissension in the family. It hasn't led to any kind of good things at all. See, the promises of God seemed so empty. They must have seemed somewhat hollow. And sometimes we feel the same way. We understand that we have this promise of an abundant life. And yet we look at our circumstances and we see the burdens and we sometimes miss the Abundance. We have this promise that God cares for the lilies of the field, and so he'll provide for us too. And we look at this economic downturn, and jobs are being lost, and retirement accounts are being slashed. And what kind of provision is this? There's this promise that if we trust in God, that he will make our paths straight. And we look at our lives, we say, my life feels a whole lot more like a windy road than a straight arrow. And then we have this conviction, but God does not lie. And so we begin to think to ourselves that there's a problem with the promises, but we know the problem can't be on God's end, so the problem must be on our end. We we must not be living up to the deal or something. We, We must not be doing everything we're supposed to do. And so the problem must lie within us. And that's pretty simple to believe because we know ourselves. We know our issues. We know our problems. We know all of our shortcomings. And so we don't see the land. We don't see the children. We don't see the blessing. 
We don't see the abundance. We don't see the straight paths. We don't see the provision. And we think, I've got to step in. But I know that if I step in, in and of myself, it's not enough. And so we hide things about ourselves. We put on masks. We try to make people believe that we're better than we really are. We keep some things in the dark, some things hidden. See, there is something about humanity that likes to keep things in the dark, in the secret places. And then we read this account of Abraham, and it almost seems as if God just gets him out of this whole mess, and Abraham almost emerges with more wealth and more blessing because of it. And we kind of scratch our heads and wonder, how could it be that he can be rewarded for actions like this? And so we can even believe the lie that, hey, you know, a few secrets, they don't really hurt anybody anyway, right? Well, I don't want you to miss the consequences in Abraham's life. I mean, Abraham suffered a great deal in this passage. You may, you may miss it. In fact, we may miss it in our own lives. But when we have this fear of being known, all these consequences come in, the same ones that tormented Abraham. I want you just to consider these. Right off the bat, we see that when we fear being known instead of trusting God in turbulent times, well, then we fall back into old sinful patterns. We start to live life the way we lived before. It was wrong before. It was wrong when Abraham was in in Egypt. And it's wrong again in Gerar. But we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, it'll be okay this time. Or maybe it wasn't so bad last time. I can try that again. You see, we fall back into old sinful patterns. When we fear being known, instead of trusting God in turbulent times, we hurt people. We even hurt the people we claim to love the most. I mean, Abraham, he put Sarah in a terrible position. I mean, how was she supposed to respect a man like that? How was she supposed to follow a man like that? What, what would these kind of lies, what, what would that do to a marriage? But it wasn't just Sarah. I mean, consider the effect that Abraham's lies had on Abimelech. I mean, this king, he he was tormented by God, and it was done in innocence of his heart and with clean hands. But when fear wins, you don't think about how your actions affect others. You just think about yourself. See, when you fear being known instead of trusting God in turbulent times, it doesn't bother you that your witness will be affected. Did you see that in Abraham's life? Abraham never considered how much more difficult it would be for Abimelech to believe that Abraham really was a prophet of God. I mean, you heard Abimelech questioning Abraham. What what have we done to you? What kind of sin have I committed against you? Why would you do this to us? You're a prophet. What kind of prophet are you? See, when you fear being known instead of trusting God in turbulent times, it doesn't bother you to spiritualize your disobedience. Did you hear Abraham's words? Did you catch what he said? He's he's doing all these mental gymnastics trying to justify his sin. He said, I said to myself, there must be no God in this place. So that's why I did it. In, In essence, Abraham is trying to pin his actions on God. You remember Adam in the garden when he sinned? And he said, God, it's that woman you gave me. Adam did the same thing. God, it's ultimately your fault. And here's Abraham trying to convince everybody it's ultimately God's fault. We spiritualize our disobedience. We try to pin it on God. When you fear being known instead of trusting God in turbulent times, it doesn't bother you to rationalize your sin. You remember what else Abraham said? He said, well, in fact, Sarah is my half-sister, so it wasn't really a lie after all. Now, in those days, God hadn't yet given the command that you're not to marry within the family. But 
we all know the fact that a half lie is same, or a half truth is the same as a whole lie. And that's what Abraham does. He tells this half truth, but it's really a whole lie. It's just deception. It's evil. It's wrong. When you fear being known instead of trusting God in turbulent times, it doesn't bother you to live with unconfessed sin. Did you happen to notice when this plan was launched, when Abraham came up with this idea, hey, Sarah, just tell them that you're my sister. It was way back at the beginning, right when God sent them out of the land, right when he went into this wandering, to this journeying, he said at that moment to Sarah, hey, Sarah, if you really love me, here's what you can do for me. When we enter a foreign land, just tell everybody that we're brother and sister. And so right there at that moment, there's this numbness that sets in because he's living a lie. And so it affects his relationship with God. It affects his relationship with his wife. It affects his relationship with others, but he misses it all. See, when you fear being known instead of trusting God, it doesn't bother you to profit from your sin. Uh, Abimelech, he, he, sinned against Abraham, but he did it with a clear conscience, with clean hands. But as soon as God lets him know about it, what does, Abraham, what does Abimelech do first thing in the morning? He gets up and he says, here, here's some oxen, here's some servants. Look at my land. Where do you want to live? You can dwell in any place you want. And here, here here's a thousand shekels of silver. I will, we want to make sure everybody knows nothing happened here. I, I want to make whatever kind of restitution I can. Abraham, we get no sense of any remorse on his part. He's just acquiring all this stuff. And, but that's what happens. You don't, you don't mind to profit off your sin. You have this numbness to you. You see, Abraham's fear, it came with a whole host of consequences. When you fear being known and you just start reacting and starting to hide, oh, it comes with a whole host of consequences. Do not miss them. But perhaps the most important consequence that Abraham missed is this consequence of missing out on the blessing that God wanted to give Abraham and Sarah. See, do you understand in this passage that God loved Abraham and Sarah's marriage? more than they did, that that God wanted Abraham and Sarah's marriage to survive even more than they did, that God was fighting for their marriage even more than they were. God wanted their marriage to thrive more than they did. God was behind it all. He was protecting it for them. And see, we miss that, don't we? When fear wins, that's what happens. Maybe you're watching, maybe you're listening right now, and like Adam... Like Abraham, like Sarah, you've made some really bad choices in life. You've got the scars to prove that you're part of this fallen human race. And you think, you know, if my spouse knew, if my mom and dad knew, if my friends knew, well, if that ever got out, it wouldn't be good. So you go into hiding, you put on masks, you have this fear of really being known. And so you keep some things secret. You need to understand God loves your marriage more than you do. God loves that special relationship between a parent and a child more than you do. God God loves your friendships even more than you do. He's fighting for them. He loves relationship. God gives relationship. He wants it even more than you do. Maybe you're hiding thinking, well, if God really knew me, 
he wouldn't want me. And so just like Adam before, you're hiding behind bushes. Just like Abraham before, you're hiding behind this other story, the story that Abraham had in Egypt, the same story that he again had in Gerar. You're hiding behind this story. But understand this, when Adam was hiding behind the bush, God came. When Abraham was hiding in Egypt behind his story, God came. When Abraham was hiding in Gerar, God came. God knows everything about us when we are lost and when we are hiding in our sin, fearing that if God really knows us, he'd never come after us. Understand this, God knows everything about us and he came anyway. The good news of the gospel is not that you have to go find God as if God is hiding someplace. No, the good news of the gospel is this, that while we were lost and hiding in our sin, God the Son, Jesus Christ, came to find us. He knows everything about us, and he came to find us, to rescue us from our hiding so that we really can be known. He's come to take us from these dark, secret places and bring us into his marvelous light. See, there's something about humanity that likes to keep things hidden in the dark. And there's something about God that likes to bring everything into the light so that we really can be known and know what it's like to be fully known and at the same time fully loved. See, the good news of the gospel, it's that God keeps his promises. No matter what, no matter all the bad stuff we've done, all the ugly that we've created, God keeps his promises and he kept his promise that he would come again and defeat sin and death for us. You know, he kept the promises to Abraham, too. He's in the process of keeping some of them. But that promise of descendants, that second promise, that promise of children, well, in the very next chapter, chapter 21, Abraham and Sarah, they celebrate because Isaac is born. Sarah is able to laugh again. There's this blessing that's happening in their life. Isaac is born. The descendant is here. And it's going to spread from there. You know, Abraham... He's a man of great faith, and at the same time, he was a man of great fear. We talked a lot about his fear this morning. We, we can trace back over his life, and we see it in, in the account in, in Genesis. We see all this fear and how it got the best of him so many times, and it led to all this ugliness. But you know how Abraham is remembered? In all the rest of the books of the Bible, any other book that mentions Abraham He's only mentioned for his faith. He's mentioned for his courage, that he is this great patriarch of the faith. James calls him a friend of God. See, that's the thing about God. We, we look at it and we say, well, did God just overlook Abraham's sin? Oh, no. On the contrary, God stared Abraham's sin down and he did something about it. In the same way, he looks at all of our sin and he's done something about it. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take it all, to stare it down, to win for us. See, he knows everything we've done. He knows all the ugliness. He knows all the bad stuff, but he's defeated it so that we don't have to be remembered by our past, but we can be remembered for our future. See, you don't, you don't have to be defined by everything you've done. You can be defined by who God is making you to be, and that's a beautiful thing. There's something about God who likes to bring everything to the light. And that's good because that means you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to live in secret anymore. You can be fully known and fully loved. See, it's a good thing to be known. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us fully. And even knowing all of our, all of our sin, all of our ugliness, 
you came anyway and you did something about it. So God, help us now to go in even these difficult times to make disciples and to live a life that you've called us to live. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.